Chapter Fourteen of Indian Summer by William Dean Howells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leonard Wilson. Chapter Fourteen. When he entered the beautiful old garden, its benison of peace fell upon his tumult, and he began to breathe a freer air, reverting to his purpose to be gone in the morning and resting in it as he strolled up the broad curve of its alley from the gate he had not been there since he walked there with one now more like a ghost to him than any of the dead who had since died it was there that she had refused him he recalled with a grim smile the awkwardness of getting back with her to the gate from the point far within the garden where he had spoken except that this had happened in the fall and now it was early spring there seemed no change since then. The long years that had elapsed were like a winter between. He met people in groups, and singly loitering through the paths, and chiefly speaking English. But no one spoke to him, and no one invaded the solitude in which he walked. But the garden itself seemed to know him, and to give him a tacit recognition. The great foolish grotto before the gate, with its statues by Bandinelli, and the fantastic effects of drapery and flesh in parti-coloured statues lifted high on either side of the avenue the vast shoulder of wall covered thick with ivy and myrtle which he passed on his way to the amphitheatre behind the palace the alternate figures and urns on their pedestals in the hemicycle as if the urns were placed there to receive the ashes of the figures when they became extinct the white statues or the colossal busts set at the ends of the long alleys against black curtains of foliage the big fountain with its group in the centre of the little lake and the meadow quiet and sad that stretched away on one side from this the keen light under the levels of the dense pines and ilexes the path striking straight on either hand from the avenue through which he sauntered and the walk that coiled itself through the depths of the plantations all knew him and from them and from the winter neglect which was upon the place distilled a subtle influence a charm an appeal belonging to that combination of artifice and nature which is perfect only in an italian garden under an italian sky he was right in the name which he mockingly gave the effect before he felt it it was a debauch delicate refined of unserious pensiveness a smiling melancholy in which he walked, emancipated from his harassing hopes and keeping only his shadowy regrets. Colville did not care to scale the easy height from which you have the magnificent view, conscious of many photographs, of Florence. He wandered about the skirts of that silent meadow, and seeing himself unseen, he invaded its borders far enough to pluck one of those large scarlet anemones such as he had given his gentle enemy it was tilting there in the breeze above the unkempt grass and the grass was beginning to feel the spring and to stir and stretch itself after his winter sleep it was sprinkled with violets but these he did not molest he came back to a stained and mossy stone bench on the avenue fronting a pair of rustic youths carved in stone who had not yet finished some game in which he remembered seeing them engaged when he was there before he had not walked fast 
but he had walked far, and was warm enough to like the whiffs of soft wind on his uncovered head. The spring was coming. That was its breath, which you know unmistakably in Italy, after all the kisses that winter gives. Some birds were singing in the trees. Down an alley into which he could look, between the high walls of green, he could see two people in flirtation. He waited patiently till the young man should put his arm round the girl's waist, for the fleeting embrace from which she pushed it, and fled further down the path. "'Yes, it's spring,' thought Colville. And then, with the selfishness of the troubled soul, he wished that it might be winter still and indefinitely. It occurred to him now that he should not go back to Devache, for he did not know what he should do there. He would go to New York, though he did not know what he should do in New York either. He became tired of looking at the people who passed, and of speculating about them through the second consciousness which enveloped the sad substance of his misgivings like an atmosphere. And he let his eyelids fall as he leaned his head back against the tree behind his bench. Then their voices pursued him through the twilight that he had made himself, and forced him to the same weary conjecture as if he had seen their faces. He heard gay laughter, and laughter that affected gaiety. The tones of young men in earnest disquisition reached him through the veil, and the talk, falling to whisper, of girls with the names of men in it. Sums of money, a hundred francs, forty thousand francs, came in high tones. A husband and wife went by quarrelling in the false security of English, and snapping at each other as confidingly as if in the sanctuary of home. The man bade the woman not be a fool, and she asked him how she was to endure his company if she was not a fool. Colville opened his eyes to look after them, when a voice that he knew called out, "'Why, it is Mr. Colville!' It was Mrs. Amston, and pausing with her, as if they had passed him in doubt, and arrested themselves when they had got a little way by, were Effie Bowen and Imogene Graham. The old lady had the child by the hand, and the girl stood a few paces apart from them. She was one of those beauties who have the property of looking very plain at times, and Colville, who had seen her in more than one transformation, now beheld her somehow clumsy of feature, and with the youth gone from her aspect. She seemed a woman of thirty, and she wore an unbecoming walking-dress of a fashion that contributed to this effect of age. Colville was aware afterward of having wished that she was really as old and plain as she looked. He had to come forward and put on the conventional delight of a gentleman meeting lady friends. "'It's remarkable how having your eyes shut estranged you,' said Mrs. Amston. "'Now, if you had let me see you oftener in church, where people close their eyes a good deal, for one purpose or another, I should have known you at once.' "'I hope you haven't lost a great deal of time as it is, Mrs. Amston,' said Colville. "'Of course I should have had my eyes open if I had known you were going by.' "'Oh, don't apologize,' cried the old thing, with ready enjoyment of his tone. "'I don't apologize for not being recognizable. I apologize for being visible,' said Colville, with some shapeless impression that he ought to excuse his continued presence in Florence to Imogene 
but keeping his eyes upon mrs amston to whom what he said could not be intelligible i ought to be in turin to-day in turin are you going away from florence i am going home why did you know that asked the old lady of imogene who slightly nodded and then of effie who also assented really the silence of the bowen family in regard to the affairs of others is extraordinary there never was a family more eminently qualified to live in florence i dare say that if i saw little more of them i might hope to reach the years of discretion myself some day why are you going away you see i haven't reached them yet are you tired of florence already no said colville passively florence is tired of me you're quite sure yes there's no mistaking one of her sex on such a point mrs amsden laughed ah a great many people mistake us both ways and you're really going back to america what in the world for i haven't the least idea is america fonder of you than florence she's never told her love i suspect it's merely that she's more used to me they were walking without any volition of his down the slope of the broad avenue to the fountain where he had already been is your mother well he asked of the little girl it seemed to him that he had better not speak to imogene who still kept that little distance from the rest and get away as soon as he decently could she has a headache said effie oh i'm sorry returned colville yes she deputed me to take her young people out for an airing said mrs amston and miss graham decided us for the boboli where she hadn't been yet i've done what i could to make the place attractive but what is an old woman to do for a girl in a garden we ought to have brought some other young people some of the Engelhart boys but we're respectable we americans abroad we're decorous above all things and i don't know about meeting you here mr colville it has a very bad appearance are you sure that you didn't know i was to go by here at exactly half-past four i was living from breath to breath in the expectation of seeing you you must have noticed how eagerly i was looking out for you yes and with a single red anemone in your hand so that i should know you without being obliged to put on my spectacles you divine everything mrs amston he said giving her the flower i shall make my brags to mrs bowen when i see her said the old lady how far into the country did you walk for this as far as the meadow yonder they had got down to the sheet of water from which the sea-horses of the fountain sprang and the old lady sank upon a bench near it colville held out his hand toward effie i saw a lot of violets over there in the grass did you she put her hand eagerly into his and they strolled off together after a first motion to accompany them imogene sat down beside mrs amston answering quietly the talk of the old lady and seeming in no wise concerned about the expedition for violets except for a dull first glance she did not look that way colville stood in the border of the grass and the child ran quickly hither and thither in it stooping from time to time upon the flowers then she came out to where he stood and showed her bunch of violets looking up into the face which he bent upon her while he trifled with his cane 
he had a very fatherly air with her i think i'll go and see what they've found said imogene irrelevantly to a remark of mrs amsden's about the expensiveness of madame bossy's bonnets well said the old lady imogene started and the little girl ran to meet her she detained effie with her admiration of the violets till colville lounged reluctantly up go and show them to mrs amsden she said giving back the violets which she had been smelling the child ran on mr colville i want to speak with you yes said colville helplessly why are you going away why oh i've accomplished the objects or no objects i came for he said with dreary triviality and i must hurry away to other fields of activity he kept his eyes on her face which he saw full of a passionate intensity working to some sort of overflow that is not true and you needn't say it to spare me you are going away because mrs bowen said something to you about me not quite that returned colville gently no it was something that she said to me about you but it's the same thing it makes no difference i ask you not to go for that do you know what you are saying imogene yes colville waited a long moment then i thank you you dear girl and i am going to-morrow all the same but i shan't forget this whatever my life is to be this will make it less unworthy and less unhappy if it could buy anything to give you joy to add some little grace to the good that must come to you i would give it some day you'll meet the young fellow whom you're to make immortal and you must tell him of an old fellow who knew you afar off and understood how to worship you for an angel of pity and unselfishness ah uh, i hope he'll understand too good-bye if he was to fly that was the sole instant he took her hand and said again good-bye and then he suddenly cried imogene do you wish me to stay yes said the girl pouring all the intensity of her face into that whisper even if there had been nothing said to make me go away should you still wish me to stay yes he looked her in the starry lucid eyes where a divine fervor deepened he sighed in nerveless perplexity it was she who had the courage it's a mistake you mustn't i am too old for you it would be a wrong and a cruelty yes you must let me go and forget me i have been to blame if mrs bowen has blamed me she was right i deserved it i deserved all she could say against me she never said anything against you do you think i would have let her no it was i that said it and i blamed you it was because i thought that you were you were trifling with you how could you think that yes i know now how it was and it makes you seem all the grander to me did you think i cared for your being older than i was i never cared for it i never hardly thought of it after the very first i tried to make you understand that and how it hurt me to have you speak of it don't you think that i could see how good you were do you suppose that all i want is to be happy 
I don't care for that. I despise it. And I always hate myself for seeking my own pleasure, if I find myself doing it. I have seen enough of life to know what that comes to. And what hurt me worst of all was that you seemed to believe that I cared for nothing but amusing myself when I wished to be something better, higher. It's nothing whether you are of my age or not, if—if if you care for me. Imogene, all that I ask is to be with you, and try to make you forget what's been sad in your life, and try to be of use to you in whatever you are doing, and I shall be prouder and gladder of that than anything that people call happiness. Colville stood holding her hand while she uttered these ideas, and incoherent repetitions of them, with a deep sense of powerlessness. If I believed that I could keep you from regretting this, what should I regret? I won't let you depreciate yourself, make yourself out not good enough for the best. Oh, I know how it happened, but now you shall never think of it again. No, I will not let you. That is the only way you could make me regret anything. I am going to stay, said Colville, but on my own terms. I will be bound to you, but you shall not be bound to me. You doubt me. I would rather have you go. No, stay, and let me prove to you how wrong you are. I mustn't ask more than that. Only give me the chance to show you how different I am from what you think, how different you are, too. Yes, but you must be free. Well, what are they doing so long there? asked Mrs. Amsden of Effie, putting her glasses to her eyes. I can't see. They are just holding hands, said the child, with an easy satisfaction in the explanation, which perhaps the old lady did not share. He always holds my hand when he is with me. Does he indeed? exclaimed Mrs. Amsden, with a cackle. She added, that's very polite of him, isn't it? You must be a great favourite with Mr. Colville. You will miss him when he's gone. Yes, he's very nice. Colville and Imogene returned, coming slowly across the loose, neglected grass toward the old woman's seat. She rose as they came up. You don't seem to have succeeded so well in getting flowers for Miss Graham as for the other ladies. But perhaps you didn't find her favourite over there. What is your favorite flower, Miss Graham? Don't say you have none. I didn't know that I preferred scarlet anemones. Were there no forget-me-nots over there in the grass? There was no occasion for them, answered Colville. You always did make such pretty speeches, said the old lady, and they have such an orphic character, too. You can interpret them in so many different ways. "'Should you mind saying just what you meant by that one?' "'Yes, uh, very much,' replied Colville. The old lady laughed with cheerful resignation. She would as lief report that reply of his as another. Even more than a man whom she could entangle in his speech, she liked a man who could slip through the toils with unfailing ease. Her talk with such a man was the last consolation which remained to her from a life of harmless coquetries. "'I will refer it to Mrs. Bowen,' she said. "'She is a very wise woman, and she used to know you a great while ago.' 
"'If you like, I will do it for you, Mrs. Amston. I'm going to see her.' "'To renew your adieus? Well, why not? Parting is such sweet sorrow. And if I were a young man, I would go to say good-bye to Mrs. Bowen as often as she would let me. <laughs> now tell me honestly, Mr. Colville, did you ever see such an exquisite, perfect creature?' oh that's asking a good deal what to tell you a thing honestly how did you come here mrs amston in mrs bowen's carriage i sent it round from the pity entrance to the porta romana it's waiting there now i suppose i thought you had been corrupted somehow your zeal is carriage bought it is a delightful vehicle do you think you could give me a lift home in it yes indeed i've always a seat for you in my carriage to hotel d'atene no to palazzo pinti this is deliciously mysterious said mrs amston drawing her shawl up about her shoulders which if no longer rounded had still a charming droop one realizes in looking at such old ladies that there are women who could manage their own skeletons winningly she put up her glasses which were an old-fashioned sort held to the nose by a handle and perused the different persons of the group mr colville concealing an inward trepidation under a bold front miss graham agitated but firm the child as much puzzled as the old woman i feel that we are a very interesting group almost dramatic oh call us a passage from a modern novel suggested colville if you're in the romantic mood one of mr james's don't you think we ought to be rather more of the great world for that i hardly feel up to mr james i should have said howells only nothing happens in that case oh very well that's the most comfortable way if it's only howells there's no reason why i shouldn't go with miss graham to show her the view of florence from the cypress grove up yonder no he's very particular when he's on italian ground said mrs amston rising you must come another time with miss graham and bring mrs bowen it's quite time we were going home the light under the limbs of the trees had begun to grow more liquid the currents of warm breeze streaming through the cooler body of the air had ceased to ruffle the lakelet round the fountain, and the naiads rode their sea-horses through a perfect calm. A damp, pierced with the fresh odour of the water and of the springing grass, descended upon them. The saunterers through the different paths and alleys were issuing upon the main avenues, and tending in gathering force toward the gate. They found Mrs. Bowen's carriage there, and drove first to her house, beyond which mrs amsden lived in a direct line on the way colville kept up with her the bantering talk that they always carried on together and found in it a respite from the formless future pressing close upon him he sat with effie on the front seat and he would not look at imogene's face which nevertheless was present to some inner vision when the porter opened the iron gate below and rang mrs bowen's bell and effie sprang up the stairs before them to give her mother the news of mr colville's coming the girl stole her hand into his shall you tell her of course she must know without an instant's delay 
yes yes that is right oh shall i go with you yes come end of chapter fourteen of indian summer by william dean howells recording by leonard wilson of springfield ohio